The Society of Economic Geologists is thrilled to be hosting the SEG 2024 conference from the 27th to the 30th of September in Windhoek, Namibia, a country known for its spectacular geology and unique ore deposits. You can find out more at segweb.org slash seg-2024 for all the conference themes, dates, workshops, field trips, and more. Abstracts are now open until the 22nd of April. So come join us in Windhoek for what promises to be a geologic adventure in a country that is leading the way in mineral resource sustainability on the African continent. See you there. Hi, everyone, and welcome to season two of Discovery to Recovery, bringing you geoscience and technology stories from the world of ore deposits. We're really excited to be bringing you a second season after how well-received the first season was. I'm Nicole Doucette, and I was one of the hosts and producers on the podcast last year. And I'm here again with Ann Thompson, who is also a host and producer, to talk about season two and what we're doing this year. Hello, Ann. Hi, Nicole. I'm so excited about this new series. I think season is going to be great. And I'm really also very happy that you're kicking us off with the very first episode. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. It's a topic we're both very passionate about. But before we get into the topic itself, why don't we introduce our new sponsor for this year? Yes, we have Goldspot Discoveries has come on to be our sponsor this series. And they are a technology company that uses artificial intelligence. They are working to revolutionize the future of global mineral exploration, a small task, and they have a full suite of data and knowledge-driven uh, tools and services, and they're working across all commodity types and deposit types, um, developing new exploration targets, doing a lot of cutting-edge work, and also strategically investing in mineral exploration companies. So it's really exciting to have them as part of this team. The work that they do is aligned with a lot of the the topics and the things that we're all interested in. So it'll be fantastic to have them on as a sponsor for the series. Yeah, definitely. Uh, big thanks to Goldspot for helping us bring season two to life this year. And a big thanks as well to Sequent, who was my former employer. They allowed me to do a ton of stuff on season one to pioneer this series, to just to get it to where it was at. And we're very, very grateful for all of the support that we received from Sequent. Well, I just have to add to that because we could never have done the the first series without sequence support and the yeah. fact that you were embedded within the organization and that you and sequence had lots of, of great ideas for content and also the support in terms of marketing and actually producing episodes was fantastic. So we look forward to maybe in the future, there'll be, be another series with sequence. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Um, yeah, and so getting into today's topic, um, as I said, it's one both Anna and myself and many other people in industry are very passionate about, and it's diversity. This is a cornerstone piece for the SEG as well. So Anne, did you want to talk about that a bit? Absolutely. So I just finished a major history project for the Society of Economic Geologists, and we celebrated our 100 years uh, anniversary this year. We had our celebration a couple of weeks ago, a big conference. And when you look at that history and you look at the founders and you can see that obviously in 1920, they were all male. They were all white. They didn't all live in North America, but they're a very homogeneous group. Yeah. And 
we certainly have transitioned over the years. We had some early early members, female members, but really things started to change in the late 70s, early 80s. And obviously the society is continuing to change and it's now a, a fairly big focus for SEG is to address the diversity, equity, and inclusion issues within both the society and as it can support geoscientists around the globe in the work that that everyone is doing. So there's a new permanent committee that's been established and that is it's going to take time to continue to bring out new programs and and change some of the ways we do things but there is a commitment across all levels of governance to actually accomplish that work which is fantastic definitely and i mean even for myself having started you know my degree in 2010 and it being 11 years later i feel like i've seen things change so much in the last decade it's going to be really cool to see how much things continue to change, especially since there's uh, quite a dedicated focus, I think, on uh, DEI in mining and geology. So yeah, it's an exciting thing to look forward to. It, it is. and But one of the things we face as an international organization is that it's different everywhere you are in the world. Definitely. And so there, there has to be cultural appreciation. There also has to be an appreciation for you know, the fact that maybe some places have farther to go than others and that we're all mm-hmm. part of the same community. So we're out there to do some tough work, but we're also very happy that we're on the right track. So today's episode is on a topic that's top of mind for a lot of people. From a high level, we're talking identity, lived experience, and how that translates in mining and geology. Um, This is something I think about a lot in all aspects of life. And I think the good news is that from the interviews that I ran for this episode, the work we're doing seems to be paying off. Things are changing and have changed a lot for the better. So our first speaker today is Cal Kaden, who I actually found on Reddit. I posted a thread on a subreddit asking for anyone in mining who might be interested in participating in a podcast about diversity and inclusion. And she reached out. She's based in Australia, so we spoke late my time, early her morning. Could you start just by introducing yourself by name and what you're doing right now, which is, you know, being in school and all of that? My name is Kalkadan, so I'm a mining engineering student. I will be graduating next year, hopefully. (laughs) I am a person of colour. I am Australian. I guess my parents are from... Ethiopia. Uh, I was born here, but that's a really big part of like our family and like the culture that they brought over and all our traditions and stuff. And yeah, I've, I guess, been interested in mining since I'd say my second year of uni when I took this intro to mining unit and I just had a really, really good time. Uh, We went on an excursion to one of the mine sites and yeah, it was just like nothing I'd ever done before. And I thought it was really, really interesting. And yeah, that's how I kind of just picked my picked my major. Was mining ever something that was presented to you before university? Was it a career option that you were looking at at all before then? Well, <laughs> my dad is actually a geologist. Gave and you that love of rocks. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'd say quite the opposite, actually. He when I told him about my mining unit, that first one that I took and how I said I was enjoying it so much, he was like, just do not do mining. He said, do any other engineering. The fact that, you know, as 
like a young female, I would be, he said I would struggle as a mining engineer and that I would not be taken seriously or because of my age or because of my gender, whatever it was. And I hate to say, but that made, that convinced me a little more to do it. He did not like that, but yeah, I haven't found any issues personally. I know well, while I was doing one of my internships that that sort of thing did happen, not to me, but to one of the other students. So like I could always see where he was coming from, but I feel like recently, well, you'd hope so that recently everywhere would be, you know, doing a lot better with gender equality and, and stuff like that. But I think mining, at least in my experience has, like I never felt like I, you know, wasn't doing well enough or I was doing a bad job or wasn't being taken seriously because of my gender. The first ever mining job that I had, my boss was female and she was amazing. I thought, I looked at her and she was about 10 years older than me and I was like, I wanna be her when I grow up. She was so confident and she knew her stuff. Everyone came to her whenever they had problems and you know, maybe in a few meetings you could tell that she was being not, I wanna say not taken seriously, but they would never go to her first my second round of internships I was in an office where over 50% of the engineers were female so I have had a really positive experience yeah I, I mean there's so many interesting things I think to unpack with what you've just said I find it really crazy that you know your father having been in the mining and geology industry knew what it was like has he is he still working in it now or is he retired he is he's still working he's yeah. still working it. okay so he knows what it's like at present what it's been like in the past and he specifically said it's going to be hard for you because yeah. of who you yeah. are I do love that that made you more eager to go after it to take on that challenge <laughs> and to break into that space and I think you're right like the that introduction into mining and geology is a really, really important one because it's the first time that you're taking all of those skills that you've learned in school and you're putting them into that real life setting and asking yourself that question, like, is this something I can do for the rest of my life? Is this somewhere that I fit? And it makes a yeah. huge difference. So yeah. it's really nice to hear that you've had such a positive experience as you're moving into this industry and, and starting to explore it. I did want to ask you, like, I, I noticed you, you kind of were like, well, like, there's not a lot of issues that I've seen but then you would also like you also said but that woman that you really looked up to and admired you could see sometimes that she wasn't being taken seriously or as seriously in meetings as perhaps some of the men in the room or that you know you were at a company where something didn't happen to you but happened to someone else like another woman yeah. I'm assuming and so how do you kind yeah. of qualify that in your head I'll talk about my boss first so when I saw that I think she it's it wasn't like she didn't know what she was doing or you know she she's been in mining for about 10 years or something so she she knows her stuff so I think it's just really when you put women in these spaces they I don't know I feel like you really shouldn't have to you know make the men feel comfortable when there's a woman in the room but when we're starting in you know this sort of industry where it's been so heavily male dominated for so long when a woman eventually does come through they're not taking her seriously so 
And when I say not taking her seriously, I mean, she never had any issues that people were rude to her or anything, but she was a senior engineer. And whenever there was an issue, they'd go to the engineer below her, who she was also the boss of, and because he was a man. Um, and you see that and you're like, well, how high up do you need to go on that sort of corporate ladder, I guess, until people realize that, you know, you're there for a reason, like you've done well. So yeah, so that was my boss. And I guess the only other issue that I've seen was, it was to do with another student in the same, we were at the same mine site, but she was in a different department. Her co-workers were one of the, well, I think of one or two of them were harassing her outside of work. Just not only like on site, but you know, out of the office, but then also at home as well. Um, and I think she had a really hard time and I don't know what she's up to these days, but when we finished our internship, she said that she, this is not what she wanted to do. Um, and it, it really, I don't know, sort of heartbreaking to hear that because I had such a good experience and I couldn't wait to get into the workforce and, you know, do this full time. And she had the complete opposite experience to me and she never wanted to set foot in that office again. So I understand where she's coming from, but when those things sort of happen when, you know, you're first starting out, then yeah, it's not great. No, I, I know my heart also breaks for that, you know, girl who got deterred from being able to pursue something that she might have really loved because she had people harassing her at work, outside of work. Yeah. I think so be, a lot of what you said, for me, the one thing I keep thinking of is responsibility and whose responsibility it is to make people who are coming into the mining industry feel comfortable. And so I think you made a really great point that it's been a male-dominated industry for so long so that when a woman is coming in, right? I don't think you quite said this, but this was... This is what I was thinking, and this is also how I feel about many things in general in terms of social movements, is that a lot of the responsibility is on the people who are in the positions of the power to actually make any sort of instrumental change, because most of the time they're the people who make up the top tiers of a company, right? There's a lot of white men who are executives, managers, etc., who have that ability, because people are listening to them, to actually start implementing things that will change how that company or how the industry is actually performing. And so that, I think that's a really important thing to take home for like anyone listening is that if you're in a position of power, if there's someone in your team or at your company who, I don't know, like, yeah, they're the only woman or they're the only person of color, like it is your responsibility to make them feel comfortable. And perhaps I think to not just make them feel comfortable, but go out of your way to also make them feel included, right? It's taking that extra step to say, okay, well, we're in a team meeting right now. There's only one woman. Let's make sure that we specifically ask her for her opinion and include her in the discussion and like really go out of our way to, to show that we want to hear what she has to say and we're taking what she says into whatever decisions we're making. And, and so the one thing I, I want to ask you as well is, so you said, you know, your family, they're immigrants from Ethiopia. And so for you, have you ever felt that your race has been an advantage or a disadvantage or something completely neutral being in mining and geology? I'd say pretty neutral. The companies that I've worked for have always had like a really strong sort of workplace culture where they're also really trying to encourage Indigenous Australians to 
join mining and like the mining industry so it's I've never been okay maybe not never but it's it's hardly ever that I would be the only person of color which has been great like Maybe not in the same department, but at least on the same mindset, there would never only just be one. So that's always made me feel really, you know, obviously you wouldn't see like a whole company being racist or saying we don't want this sort of person or anything like that. But I think there is a difference when they're kind of neutral about it versus when they're actively trying to encourage other people of color. And that's always been really great to see. Yeah. So I guess that really segues quite well into my next question, which are what, are what are the things that you've personally seen in the industry that have made you feel, I guess, encouraged? So you just said one thing, which was that there's some companies that are actively recruiting people of color into their workforce that helps you, you know, feel like this is a space where you really belong. Are there other examples of things that are done really well that you want to continue to see as you progress throughout your career? Just having other people around you, I guess, who look like you or act like you or yeah just having more a more diverse group that's never going to be a bad thing so it's only going to encourage more people to you know join mining or stay in mining I think that's definitely one huge positive yeah uh, no I totally hear you on that and I think representation is extremely important If you come into industry seeing people that are like you, that are in positions of power, making changes, being taken seriously, I think it can add a lot of confidence that you're in the right career and on the right path. So again, that was Cal Cadent, who was a mining engineering student in Australia. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Next up, we have Dr. Pedro Garcia, who was an economic geology professor in Western Brazil and is also part of the SEG, which is how we got introduced. Pedro's father was in geology, and he himself had a lifelong interest in chemistry and merged that with geology to study and teach economic geology and geochemistry. Dr. Garcia also spent a year at Queen's University in Canada during his studies, and he has Indigenous ancestry. He's quite dark-skinned, which is relevant for his introduction. And so this podcast episode in particular is about reconciling identity and geology and mining, what we're doing right, what we can improve on. And so can you expand on your own identity, whether that's culturally or otherwise, and how you kind of see yourself as a person? Yeah, it's an interesting question. When I was in Canada, I had a lot of Indian friends. They they were all the time asking me if, if I was sure, if I was not from India. And here in Brazil, most of the people are in halfway between white and black and indigenous. We have like a general term that we call uh, pardo in Portuguese that is like brown or tan. And is if you are not 100% black, that is really rare here in Brazil. It's, it's hard to, to know about your ancestrality for your family tree because in the, the past centuries, the, the color people, basically the, the African descendants and the indigenous descendants, they were not thought as worthy people, so they were not registered. So we are not like that sure of our ancestrality until like three or four generations before us, but I really, I really feel that I I, 
if you look for my appearance, I am sent from indigenous in Brazil. And when I was in Canada, I when I got those Indian friends, I started to see how they were like proud of their skin colors, of their culture, and I started to praise my own like native Brazilian culture as well. And after I changed, I, I moved here for for the Western Brazil that we have more indigenous community. I started to to read more about the the history of different ethnicities, for reading about like the the struggling they are facing now until these days. So I really I, I started to feel more as I'm part of this part of the this this side of the Brazilian community. There is often that it's not that spoken about the struggle those people face. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you were growing up then, did you not really feel like you fit in? From what you're saying, it kind of sounds like that process of being comfortable with yourself and with your identity started a bit when you were in Canada and were around, you said, an Indian community. Yeah, exactly. It's because I forgot to mention about it, but the, the city I was raised in is like the the most African city outside Africa. There's ninety percent of the population is African descended, but there is still a social minority because like the the economic elite is mainly white. So since I was neither black or white, I was in halfway. I was like in my class I was too brown to be accepted and in the the major majority of the society I was like too too light to be accepted. So I was I was always trying to fit in regarding my history. Hmm. And so how how did you find that transition then when you moved into geology? Like when you were entering geology, did you find that you felt like you fit in? Were there challenges related to your identity that you came up against right away? Or what was that journey like? It was a long journey. So because usually I was, I was reading a, a paper some years ago, two years ago. It came out two years ago. The name is Race and Racism in Geoscience. It was written by Kahali Dutz. She's a she's a geology professor in the Columbia University, and she published in Nature Geoscience. And she says in, about United States, but I think it can apply for different countries. That is, geosciences are among the least diverse in STEAM axis, like science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and we are not that diverse even in the the city I was raised in, in Salvador, that is really, really mixed. And I, I think, I think it took me a lot, a lot of time. And when I was, when you start to travel, so I was traveling, traveling a lot inside Brazil. But when you are like far from home, I was for one year in, in Kingston. You, you start to think more about yourself and you see how you are more accepted, like easily accepted uh, at the first sight. 
by people that look like yourself. So because of that, I was, besides I had lots of Brazilian friends, I had lots of Indian friends as well. Because even in Brazil, when I was working mining, for instance, when I was in a emerald artisanal mining, there, there was, there were a lot of Indian there, like try to deal some emeralds. And even the Indians in Brazil, they asked me if I was Indian and I was there. Uh, in Canada, I started to realize how how those people that do not know me, they just want to be my friend because of my appearance and I, I can be more accepted through that. And and I started to, to go in the reverse process and try to find myself where I came from. So it was like a long journey and everything I lived helped Helped me, helped me in this way. And right now, I live in the state that we have a lot of indigenous community. I think we have like one-sixty of the population are indigenous in the state I live in. And I had like two students that are from indigenous community. So one of them, I, I, I'm advising him in his undergrad thesis. And he's it's really interesting to know more about how geology can be useful for the minorities, for the indigenous. So it's really interesting to know more about the history and not just the, the bad side of the history or or the, the bad actions that still are carried out these days, but what is what are the best actions possible both the, the the companies and the the people of those communities they they can adapt to 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 concile all the activities in economic and social ways yeah i think that's actually a great lead into another question i wanted to ask you which was reconciling your indigenous identity with mining and geology obviously there's a lot of history between indigenous communities either getting displaced or i would say just completely sort of run over by mining companies in terms of taking resources right from those communities not really providing any sort of sustainable development for the communities to thrive after the companies leave and then of course there's been lots of instances of violence and you know, everything under the sun in terms of how indigenous communities have been treated by mining companies. So I guess what is your approach when you're thinking about that sort of giant multifaceted challenge in that space? Yeah, this is an interesting question. So uh, as, as I said before, for two thirds of my life, I was not feeling that integrated with those problems, with those issues, because I, I felt I was different because I'm, I was raised in a city, I'm from different social class. And and we have, like, for historical matters, the for from two or three centuries ago until some decades ago, mining was directly related to slavery or indigenous genocide in Brazil. And I was, although I was like sad to know about it, I did not feel like it was my problem. And these days, we, until these days, we have lots of illegal artisanal miners that go to protect the lands of indigenous. That's, that has nothing to do with the major companies. Actually, since we have a lot of law, different laws that protect minorities, the, the major companies, they are always willing to, 
to follow the law, so they actually they have to protect those people. But the main problem is like the illegal miners, which you have in, in most of the third world countries, you still have lots of illegal miners. So if they we have like huge country, like Brazil is the fifth largest country in the world, so it's it's really hard to to make the, the law work in every every single bit space in Brazil. So those those illegal miners they still go these days in these places like less if you if you open the news the newspaper and if you see about Brazil and you two or three three weeks ago we had these illegal miners they were entering the those protected lands and they were killing like they are they were doing like horrible stuff like killing children women and everyone the elderly and there is still a, a huge struggle in I, I think in the whole world about indigenous communities not only in America or in Africa even in, if you go like to Russia and Siberia Siberia they have like indigenous communities there and I, I'm really trying to, to understand what we can do as scientists and as if we work in economic geology we work with directly linked to industries as well so what we can do as scientists as companies and I discovered like four or five years ago that one there is emerging field in geology there is geoethics and geoethics they are concerning a lot about what what could be our best posture towards those situations and I think as as a scientist, what can I do is when I go to uh, not when I go to those those kind of protected lanes, not try to 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 show what what is like the profits the the people can extract from those lands, but what is the cultural heritage the cultural heritage these communities they they can bring for not only Brazil but for our for the whole world and. I, I've been trying to understand better. I have an undergrad student that he's doing his undergrad thesis, trying to to put together the geoetic stuff and the mining here in the state. We live in Mato Grosso, so I and I've, I I always try to associate with the major companies that they 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 seek to to preserve the cultural aspects of the the place they are producing. Mining is a really is essential activity for the whole humanity, but you the whole humankind. But you you have if you have rules, if you have laws, you you can follow them as the major companies do. I, I think that the main problem is like this illegal miners that is still pretty on, is still pretty happening in third world countries. And I'm I'm not sure about another country, but in third world countries, I'm pretty sure that it's still happening. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Artisanal mining is a big issue in third world countries. It's less of a issue in somewhere like Canada, where everything is highly regulated, and you know the country is just so big that it would be quite difficult, I think, to even do something like that. Like you'd have to build so much infrastructure to get ore out. And so I guess like. I, I know you said one thing you're trying to do is focus more on like the cultural preservation side of things versus just talking about profit. Is there anything else when it comes to how to 
combat artisanal mining in a place like Brazil, like ideas you think could potentially work? We have like the state governments, they are trying to, to regulate and to make the, because we have like legal artisanal miners and we have legal as well. So they are trying to put everyone in, in the legal side. And there's like some controversial stuff because there are some, like the federal government right now in Brazil is trying to put everyone legal, not not by making them change changing places and make them go out of the protected land, but they are trying to change the law to make them <laughs> to be inside the law in order to change their attitudes. And but we have like some crazy worthy attitudes from the governments that we have like to to be aware of these activities. And, and as scientists, we just can denounce, we just have to, to speak out about these problems and to, to clap our hands for the, the companies that follow the law that actually are the, the majority, but, but since we have like this dark side, we have to mention it like frequently and to talk about it as every opportunity we have. So when I'm in the classroom, I always try to, to show for my students, since my students, since I teach economic geology, they are almost in the end of the geology undergrads. I am always trying to, to say to them, like, if you, if you are, if you are working, you, you can make your choice, like to work in the most ethical way as possible. So I'm always trying to, to bring out those reflections for the students. Yeah. And you kind of already went into my next question, which was, what we can we do better as an industry? I don't know if you have more to add. I think you just spoke about quite a lot of things we can do in terms of educating and talking about things. And because mining is essential and it's going to keep happening, we just have to try to do it in the most ethical way possible. I think most of the countries, they have, like, here in South America and most of the place they have like good regulations so we we must we have to struggle to to the law to be followed and and in the in the industry and I, I could say like in geoscience in general as I was and I was talking about the the article that was published by the professor Kohali that she says that we tend to to merge the in, in people who resemble us resemble us. So as industry and uh, and as as a society as well as for SEG, when we have more diversity, when you have like more women, when when you have more LGBTQ, and we have more colored people, we 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 start to to be more inclusive and we start to to be more human as well. We start to act better, and I I think this is a really praiseworthy attitude from SEG to start this AE and I com committee. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, for myself, I was only really in industry and have been in for like six years. And even still, it's changed quite a lot. And I think sometimes you can forget how much things have changed. But then if you actually look back and think about it, you can see how much things are actually changing in real time, which is really cool. 
Thank you to Pedro for sharing your experiences with us. And thanks again to Calcadan for doing that too. I think the important thing for us all to remember is that we're in this together. No one else is going to change industry for us. And we all know mining is going to be around for a very long time. So let's do the best, the absolute best we can to make it an empowering environment for everyone. Once again, I'm Nicole Doucette, and this will be my first and last episode of the season. But I hope you enjoy the rest of what's coming up. We have some great technical episodes following this one with our next one on Placer Gold with Ann Thompson. If you want to access season one of the podcast, you can find them at segweb.org slash podcasts. Be sure to follow the SEG and Gold Spot on Twitter, LinkedIn, and their other social media channels to get notified when the next episode is out. This episode was written and produced by myself, Nicole Doucette, with production support from Ann Thompson, Hallie Keevil, Aisha Ahmed, and Sam Weatherly. Our theme music is Confluence by Eastwinds from their album Confluence. You can check them out at eastwinds.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and catch you next time.